right, so uh, here's, you ready for your random uh, Mr. Rogers fact of the day? Is um, his sweaters, the iconic sweaters that he wore, uh, were made by his mom, all of them. So that's pretty cool, right? Um, also, I learned uh, this week that um, one of his sweaters, one of those sweaters is um, on display with the Smithsonian Institute as a piece of American history. Boom. Is that cool? So a treasure on American history. So, so but here, here's the thing. Mr. Rogers was all about the neighborhood, right? Now, I'm not going to wear the sweater the whole time because at some point I want you guys to take me seriously. Um, but don't think I'm not going to rock this next fall because this thing is... Um, pretty comfy. Um, but, you know, good neighbors are, are hard to come by. Would you agree? Uh, <laughs> yes. Good neighbors, you know, like, like some of us may have nightmare stories or may, maybe you have good neighbors and you uh, maybe take it for granted, but, but good neighbors can be hard to come by. Even if you have great neighbors, I'm sure you have stories that kind of involve or revolve around them. Now, when Beth and I uh, got married, uh, we lived in a duplex out in Suffolk, downtown Suffolk, and this was a top-bottom unit, okay? And we lived upstairs, and we had a uh, a series of neighbors that came in and out below us. And, and you know, we're, we're newlyweds, we're broke, we had no money. So one of our pastimes was listening to this one particular couple argue, okay? And we're like, oh, hey, they're over here in this room, you know? And, uh, and um, well, they'd be like, crazy stuff, you know, like, you smoked the last pot, you know what I'm saying? And we're like, oh, we're like, you're, you're cheating on me. And, like, we, and it was like out of control stuff. And so, so finally, um, Beth and I, we were like, surely they know that we can hear them, right? So we came up with our own little game, like, let's argue, but let's just repeat things that they say. Okay, and so, we would, and so we would yell stuff back and forth to each other. Like, I can't believe you smoked the last pot, you know. And like, she's like, and we're going back and forth yelling, and they would keep going. We're like, I don't know. Well, at least we entertained ourselves for free. But, um, you know, they, so that was, um, yeah, that was just last week. So uh, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but neighbors can be fun, you know. But um, even if you have good neighbors, you know, you can have interesting, um, interesting stories. Um, we had another neighbor that... Like, he is a great neighbor, okay, but I would avoid him at all costs if I had anything to do in, within the next hour. Anybody have neighbors like that? Are any of you those neighbors? <laughs> if you are, you don't know it. I think there's this, this barrier that you don't know. So, <laughs> so, so I had this neighbors like, I can't count, all, I don't have enough fingers and toes to count how many times I was late for something because uh, this guy caught me for something real quick. Real quick. And then, like, my kids have been late to school. I've been late for appointments or visits or, or uh, meetings. I've been, been late to, to, my kids have been late to practice. All kinds of things because one thing, one quick thing um, that I desperately could not get out of. I mean, so, so much so that me and Beth would have to run interference for each other, you know. We'd be calling each other on the house. Hey, you got, I need you, you know. Like, oh, man, she needs me, you know. House is on fire. And, uh, <laughs> or, like, just crazy stuff. We would try to run interference. But um, here's the thing. I, I didn't have time for that. So, so we're in this series uh, today, continuing, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Yeah, we're, we're ripping off uh, the neighborhood from Mr. Rogers. But, but Jesus talks about what it looks like to love our neighbors. And uh, I think Jesus wants to love our actual neighbors in our own neighborhoods. And so Last week, if you're here, uh, we basically looked at what we call the Great Commandment, where, uh, where this teacher of the law comes to Jesus and, and says, What's the, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, what, is the, what does the law say? And he says, he boils it all down, love God 
with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he says, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. So love God, love people. Love God, love your neighbor. And Jesus is like, bingo, that's right. And then, then Jesus illustrates that when the guy asks, well, who is my neighbor? Uh, specifically, Jesus tells the story of what we call the Good Samaritan, okay? And, and so there's these two relig- this religious guy who, who passes uh, this guy who's injured, all right? Left for dead, beaten, robbed. And he, he sees him, and he keeps on going, minds his own business. There's this other religious leader, same thing, sees him, minds his own business, keeps going. Then the Samaritan, who would have been an outcast, right, sees him, goes after him, takes care of him, uses his own money, his own resources, his own, his own time. And Jesus says, that guy, that guy was the neighbor. And so that's where uh, Jesus is kind of telling us, like, we don't really get to pick and choose who our neighbors are. I mean, that's true in a, in a, uh, like a physical sense. With our, like, we have a house. When we moved back to our house, we had two empty houses on each side of us. We didn't have neighbors for a year on either side. And so our kids are like, oh, balls go over the fence. No big deal, right? Well, now a guy just moved in, and now he's always throwing balls back over the fence. And, and someone's about to move in on the other side of us. And, and uh, so, but, but we don't really get to pick and choose who our neighbors are. And Jesus is saying, look, we don't get to pick and choose who we love. We, we love all those around us, all who we see and all who are in need. But do you know one of my struggles, one of my struggles of being a good neighbor is I'm in a hurry. Like our, our family, me and my wife, we're always in a hurry. We live life in a hurry. But here's the thing, it's not just us. It's, it's probably most of you too. Like most of us just live life in a hurry. I mean, we live in a, a world that values like production. Uh, we live in a world that values like results and activity. Got to get it done. When you greet someone you haven't seen for a while, you say, how you doing? And if you don't really know how to respond, you say, oh, man, it's been busy, <laughs> you know, like as, some, as, as if that's some kind of badge of, of honor, you know, oh, good, good for you. You've been busy, you know, uh, or it's hard for us to wait when, when we're watching a video online and it has to buffer for five seconds because the signal's not quite strong enough. We get, ah, you know, technology, you know, it's slow. And, and, or have you ever been in front of someone at a stoplight, it turns green, and they take two seconds before they decide to accelerate? What do you do? Don't. Toot. See, the problem is uh, my, my car doesn't, my, one of my cars toots, okay? Toot, toot. You could just bump that thing. And the other one's like, it's all or nothing. You're like, so that one comes, to me, it comes across as angry. But the other one's like, hey, go on. The other car's like, I hate you. I'll slit your tires, you know. So, but... But, you know, but that's what we do if you wait too long. And so without realizing it, um, we live life in a hurry. Like, not just us, but, but most of us. So in Luke's gospel, after he tells the story, after Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, okay, this is what it looks like to love our neighbor. Uh, then Luke records an interaction that Jesus has with two really close friends, Mary and Martha. So I want to read the story in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. 
Now, in this short little picture, the short little window that we see of this interaction between Jesus and Mary and Martha, it's short, but it says a lot. And off the bat, Luke is telling the story. He draws our attention to the different reaction that Mary and Martha have to Jesus being in the house. First, there's, there's Mary. It says, she sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. Now, that says a lot how Mary viewed Jesus because Jesus was a rabbi. He was a Jewish rabbi. And, and, and sitting at the feet of the rabbi was a sign of respect. It was a sign of, uh, it was this posture that said, you know, I'm ready for you to teach me. I'm ready to learn your ways. Show me. And that's what she's saying by sitting at his feet. So Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And now another interesting thing in the first century uh, as, in a, as a Jewish rabbi, uh, women typically wouldn't have the privilege to sit at the feet of a, foot of a rabbi. Like that was just the world that they lived in. And, and so it makes what Jesus says about Mary actually pretty extra special, extra cool. And then we, we see in verse 40 about Martha's focus, her sister. It says, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And so you can imagine people coming over. Like your house may be clean right now. But if I said, hey, uh, we're bringing 12 people over for lunch. Your house probably isn't clean enough, right? All right, now, add to that, this is Jesus. Je say, hey, Jesus is coming to your house for lunch, right? You're going to go, you got some cleaning to do, okay? And you're going to be scrambling, and, and, and maybe you remember your mom doing this. You know, people are coming over, clean up, clean the toys, you know, whatever. And you got to get stuff because people are coming over. So for Martha, Jesus is coming over. Uh, there's stuff to do, got to get it done. Now there's food to be made, there's houses to be cleaned, there's sheets to be uh, cl uh, cleaned and put on the beds. And, and, and it's natural to take pride in your work, especially when someone special might see it, right? And and this great teacher, Jesus, has come to Martha's house. So naturally, naturally, she's a little distracted, you know, by all the preparations. Plus, think, like, Jesus, Jesus was rolling deep, at least 12 deep, you know, his disciples and whoever else was coming along with him. You know, these men would have been hungry, and so there, are, there were tons of preparations and food, and, and she wanted to be a good hostess. She wanted to be the hostess with the... Mostus, that's right. And uh, the hostess with the Mostus. And plus, there would have been these cultural expectations for her to, to be a good hostess. And, and, and she wanted to have uh, everything just right for Jesus and his disciples. Now, so there's a, there's a lot. There are genuine, real things that Martha needed to take care of. There's nothing wrong with what she's doing. It's her house. She wanted to be a good hostess, but she was... But she was frustrated. Uh, she was frustrated that she was working her butt off while Mary is just sitting there, what looks like she's doing nothing at the feet of Jesus. And so, so what does she do? She, ta she tattletales on her sister to Jesus. She, it says, uh, she came to him, this is verse 40, she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And he says, Martha... Martha, uh, I always, every time I read this, I always hear Jesus' voice. I don't know why, but in my, in my mind, he goes, Martha, Martha. And I don't know why. There's some videos out a long time ago. It ruined me. But he surely didn't sound like that. But Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one thing. Mary has chosen what is better. It will not be taken away from her. Man. 
So I'm sure that Jesus was very appreciative, very grateful for the preparations that had been made for the food and for the, the clean house and, and, and the space for him and his disciples to come. And, and, and I'm guessing the guys enjoyed the good dinner and, and the beds being clean. Now, now notice, Jesus doesn't say, Martha, what were you thinking? I'm so disappointed in you for, for, for taking care of all these things. No, he doesn't say that. He says, you are worried about and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. And so that's where our lesson comes in today. Is we are people who were so worried about so many things. There's so much going on and, and it's, there's so much craziness around us. It will drive us crazy. Uh, but the worst of all is that is when we're so focused on all these other things that we're going to miss the things that are most important because we're in a hurry to do everything else, even if they are a little bit important. Man, John Ortberg, he writes um, in the book, The Life You've Always Wanted, he writes this. He says, love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Love always takes time, and time is the one thing hurried people don't have. Now, I don't know about you, but, man, sometimes that's me. Sometimes that's me. Like, we're so busy doing things that might be important, but, man, may we never miss what's most important. Dave Runyon is the co-author of this book, uh, The Art of Neighboring, which is what we're basing this series off of. And, and um, it's all about building genuine relationships with those right outside your door. Like, uh, in, in this, he says, the number one obstacle to being a good neighbor is time. Like, isn't that crazy? The number one obstacle to being a good neighbor is time. Like, we live at warp speed. We live at a fast pace. We, we, uh, we praise multitasking, you know, and it makes us feel so much more productive or, or good about ourselves. But actually, it's leading to this imbalance in our lives. Not only will it prevent us from neighboring well, it prevents us from having a healthy spiritual life as well. And so Runyon, in the book, they say there's three lies that a lot of us have bought into about hurry, that, that we use to justify our hurried livings and allow this imbalance to continue. So I want to share these three lies uh, real quick with you today, and, and maybe we'll see ourselves in one or all of these. Um, so check it. Lie number one, things will settle down someday. Has anybody said that? Yeah, man, like, we say that all the time, don't we? Oh, if I could just, if we could just get to next Thursday, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Me and my wife say this every week. If we could just get, if we could just get to this point, if we can just get past this or this point, uh, then things will settle down. Or, or if we can just get to next weekend, if we can just get to summer, if we can just get to spring break, if we could just get to vacation, and, we, and we're always uh, hopeful of this other time where things are supposedly going to settle down. Or, or for the, for if you have kids, things will settle down when the kids are grown and gone. And then, um, yeah, you know, that doesn't really happen either from what I see in people's lives. But um, we see everyone's life and how crazy it can be. 
As Beth and I, you know, we try to be intentional about this, of, of building some space in our life because we see how crazy life can be. And so uh, we try to schedule margin and space, and we try to schedule downtime and family time and breaks and vacation and family nights. And we try to uh, date nights, and, and, and we try to do this intentionally. But guess what? It doesn't always work out. Just be honest. It doesn't always work out. We, we hold to some things pretty good. Some things, man, we, we get all botched up. And, and yes, there are busy seasons where we need to buckle up and kind of push through and, and when things are out of, are out of control. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but if our whole life is busy, you know, there's not, it's not just going to magically settle down one day. Like, they, whoever they is, are still inventing ways that are trying to keep us more busy. They're inventing ways for us to spend more time and more money. And so things will never settle down unless we intentionally say no and we stop doing stuff. We learn to say no. Uh, as Jesus says, Martha chose what was good, but, but Mary chose what was better. So the second lie, second lie is this, more will be enough more, just a little bit more. Like more is the unofficial motto of America in 2019, right? Just give me more. Give me more stuff. Uh, we pile in more, 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 and then a little bit more to go on top of our more. If we could just buy more, if we could just do more, if we could just, uh, if we could just be more, then things will be good. And we're so hopeful. We're, we live in such anticipation of what more is going to give us. And then when we get there, guess what? We're, we're still not happy. We're still not content. So what do we do to our more? Man, we add even more. I need to buy more. I need more stuff. I need more things. I need, I need uh, more money. I need to do more. I need to commit to more. And then we, we are on this never-ending cycle. And so that's a lie that more will be enough. The truth is time, time is finite. Like at least with stuff, you can cram it in the attic, make more space in the garage, get a storage space, but with time, we can't add any to that. We have a limited amount of time, uh, uh, every, and when every second of our day is filled, we can't just add an extra two hours at the end of the week and, and the, where we can spend time loving those around us. No, we have a specific amount of time, and God has called us to love our neighbors inside of that time. You know, they say the best artists know when to say enough, and you can quickly ruin a painting with one more stroke. And, and we've got to develop this artistic skill of knowing when to say enough with our schedules so that we can make time for what's best. The third lie is everybody lives like this. Well, I mean, everybody lives like this, so why, why not me? You know, if everyone else is jumping off a bridge, I may as well jump off too, right? Well, actually, I, I, I may have done that, but that was back in college. The bridge wasn't super high, but, uh, so, but you get what I'm saying, right? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, uh, like, just because everyone lives at a frantic pace, so we need to do so as well, just because everyone else seems to be living at breakneck speed, that I need to jump into it because it's a good idea, but it's a lie that we usually use to justify the imbalance in our lives and excuse ourselves from not neighboring well, not loving those around us. And, and, and the, the truth is that not everyone actually lives like that. There are people who have balance in their lives and who have uh, chosen to uh, invest and love those around them the way, of, the way that Jesus would. Martha chose what was good, but Mary chose 
what was better. Mary had the chance to physically sit at the feet of Jesus. Like, can you imagine this? Like, like God in the flesh, like this man who was, who was fully man but fully God, and he was here teaching, and, and Mary had the chance to physically sit at his feet. That wasn't even something that was open for women in that culture, and she was able to soak in the teaching of Jesus. And what an awesome opportunity that would have been. And meanwhile, Martha is doing something important. She's doing something important, yeah. But Mary chose the better. So last week, if you were here, we, we talked about let's live with our eyes up. Let's, instead, of, instead of, you know, seeing the, the half-naked, beat-down guy on the path, and we see him, and then we just kind of turn our eyes the other way down, and we keep going, minding our own business. Why? Because we've got things to do. We've got, we got somewhere to be. We've got stuff to take care of. And uh, instead of that, we live like the Samaritan where we see someone, we can invest, where we see a need that we can meet it. And so we live with our eyes up. That was the challenge last week. They're not rushing in a hurry life with no time to share. But here's the beauty. When we make time to love people in need, we are making the time to worship and to sit at the feet of Jesus. Now, I get it. It's, it's hard to take control of our time, isn't it? Like, and, and there's, there's things that are out of our control. We can, we can admit that. Um, Josiah, my son's playing minor league, uh, little league baseball. And so, you know, I, every time they play something, I'm usually going to coach in some form or capacity. And, um, uh, this, but this time things are just busy. I was like, you know, I'm not going to be the head coach, but I'll just be an assistant. I'm going to be there anyways. I may as well help, right? Um, so, so son will help, but I'm seeing all the other teams are starting to practice. We haven't even gotten a call yet. Like, so I'm like, what's going on, you know? And, and so finally I get a call from the league. Guess what? The coach backed out. Hey, man, we need you to coach. So I'm like, man, are you for real? I don't really want to. I wanted to help, but you know what I said? Oh, okay. So, so, yeah, I'll help. I'll help. So, so here I am, uh, you know, uh, just really wanted to help out, but now I'm invested more time. And, here, and here's how coaching looks like with me. After I get home from coaching little kids, my wife's like, all right, guys, give Dad a little bit of space. He needs a little bit of space, a little bit of time, you know, for him to kind of just debrief. And um, so, and, and here's the thing. Um, to me, coaching is, is, is a ministry. It's an opportunity to, to connect and love and, and teach kids. And it's also, um, uh, we, we have several families that call Christ Fellowship home because their kids have called me coach. And is it more busy? Yes. Yes, it is. But I get it. But, but listen, that doesn't negate the fact that one of the biggest obstacles to neighboring well, to being a good neighbor, is time. It's the time factor. And so we need to create the space intentionally in our lives uh, to, to love our neighbors. And that is a significant part of worshiping our God. Like as good neighbors, we get to be the hands and we get to be the feet of Jesus in our communities. In fact, uh, it's not only true that when we love them, we're loving Jesus. But it's also true that when they see our actions, we are pointing people towards Jesus. They're getting to see Jesus' people live and love 
Last week, um, we, we handed out these. Some of you guys get these last week. If you didn't get one, you can either get one on your way out or you can raise your hand and they'll pass some out to you right now. Anybody want it? Um, but these, um, this comes from that book, The Art of Neighboring. And your house is in the center, okay? You can write your name on that or your address. And, and then that, this is the eight closest neighbors around you. Maybe you live in an apartment and it doesn't look like this. Or maybe you live out in the country and you got five acres. It may not look like this, but think of your eight closest neighbors around you. And on this form, I, I actually want you to, to fill this out, okay? Like, hang it on your fridge. Work on it as a family. Uh, fill it out. Can you name, all right, the ABC for each, for each house, okay? A is, can, can you, do you know everybody's name on those houses? That's a lot, okay? Do you know everybody's name? And they say only 10% of people can do that. Okay, that's not that many people. Ten uh, percent could do the name of the eight closest neighbors around them. Then B, the second, the second tier is: can you say something about them? Okay, something about them that you cannot see from your driveway. You know, oh, hey, they drive a red Honda Civic. Um, oh yeah, they don't cut their grass very often, or they got the kids that are real loud. That, I mean, that's us, by the way. But, um, but. Not some of that, but something about them, like, yes, they have three kids, and he works at the shipyard, you know, and, um, and something personal about them. And then see, and only, they say only like 3% can do that, okay? So that's very small. And then C, all right? C is, can you say something, um, something meaningful about them? Something that you would only know through a personal, uh, a real personal interaction uh, about their thoughts, their feelings, their dreams, their desires, their hurts, their needs, okay? And at that point, they say less than 1% can do that for all their neighbors. So my challenge, our challenge as a church is let's get to work on this. Like, like let's get to work on this. Let's take the time. To allow God to work in us, to allow God to work through us, because he has placed every single one of us in a context, and we don't need to wait for someone else to knock on our door, that God has placed you there. And my hope and my prayer is that God will start, that God will change the dynamic of your street, of your block, and of your neighborhood because you took the time to just to spend a little more effort, to be a little bit more intentional, and to, to take those steps in, in boldness and courageous, cra- courageousness and in love to remember that God loves you. He sent Jesus uh, for us and that we're supposed to go love this world around us. And we could be, uh, you know, while Mary chose what was good, but we, Mark, Martha chose what was good. We could be like Mary, and we can choose what's better.